Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. Happy Halloween. Yay. Yeah. How you doing? <sighs> Good, uh, Merles. You sure? You, you, you sure? Merle, Merles. Uh, Merlesy dotes and dozy dotes and, and little Merlesy divy. A Merlesy divy too. Mm. But, yeah. You can't stop the Skype jam. <sighs> how, how'd you sleep last night? Oh, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, hmm. it was a combination. It was a combination. Oh. A little bit of the, a little bit of staying up too late, then a little bit of what seemed like pretty good sleep, then some, you know, a little tossing and turning. Some fairly realistic dreams. Really? And then I didn't want to get up. Yeah, really? Huh. Wanted to, wanted to roll back over and go back to sleep. So, one of those. Yeah. It was raining here. I think I've resigned myself to Sunday being a day where, um, well, it's the Lord's Day. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I don't light a fire. I don't, <laughs> roll, I don't roll on Shabbos. But no. I've kind of, I resigned myself to that being a day where I not only sleep a little late, like till 10 or maybe sometimes 11, I get up, I'm, I'm usually hungry on a Sunday morning, and uh, I'll get food, my kid and I will eat food, and then I go back to bed for a while. <laughs> yes! And I'm, I'm coming clean. I'm coming yes. clean no, with that's it. That's it. Uh, yeah, yesterday. Uh, so... But I've had two two good nights of sleep in a row, and I'm trying to stop myself from overanalyzing. Well, how, no, no, hang on. Let me put this differently. Let me put this. Yeah, can, yeah, can, yeah. can I? Can Go I? Let's rewind. Well, can I? Can I? Can I? Can I make a bring some subtlety and context? Yeah, yeah, I'd okay. appreciate it if you would. Well, you know, because because you know, with with Twitter and everything, we lose a lot of context. Here's the thing. I um, I, there's a thing I say a lot, and I'm sorry I do say it a lot, but I believe in it. I believe it's one thing to feel bad, and it's another thing to feel bad about feeling bad. That's mm-hmm. uh, to to use my word of the year. That's become instrumental for me. Is realizing yeah. everybody feels bad, but feeling bad about feeling bad is ultimately optional. I talked uh, to my daughter about this all the time. Okay, would you put a pin in that? Because I'd love to talk about it if you're interested. Of course. Yeah, 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 sure. So how, what should I write that down as? Feeling bad about feeling bad? Feeling bad about feeling bad, yeah. yeah writing it down on paper. Feeling bad about feeling bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I keep saying that because it's become important for me, and I think it's, it's important to, to remind myself and others that that's always an option. So one thing that's been key in my journey with sleep is that whether or not I'm, I'm having the sleep that I would like, I'm trying to make an effort to not assign too much, generally, especially bad feeling about that, which has been really, really helpful. Because what's the worst thing is trying to sleep, you can't sleep, you don't sleep well, you wake up, all the, you know, the seven dwarfs of bad sleep, right? Um, but, so that's helped a lot. But, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I do still get curious about like, well, I, even when I don't sleep well, sometimes I can wake up and go, that's okay. That's oh. okay, I say to myself. And uh-huh. maybe I'm, as you say, whistling past the graveyard, but I say to myself, I say, you know, that's okay. If, if you didn't sleep, you know what? The thing, you know, it's not going to help us feeling bad about it and then not sleeping more. You know? Yes, yes. I don't like to cut right to the chase, but I think the, the downside of that is that when you are hard on yourself about that, and I'm, I'm not trying to be helpful here, but when you no. are hard on yourself about that, I think it makes everything a lot worse. If you're, if you're interested in this topic, listen to everything else that I do. But, uh, but, but, but then I am also on, on the other side of that. Now I say to myself, I say, well, like, you know, am I, uh, should, I have, should I have no feeling about that? I'm not sure I should have no feeling about that, but I think it's okay for me being how I am you know how I am, to err on the side of feeling less bad about things, and that helps. But with all of that said, uh, sometimes I still I want to I figure out what, what, what I do. Is there, a, is there a skeleton key? Is there a magic formula? Is there, is there something? Because I, I, I feel like I have some idea about the things that make sleep not so good, and I try to work on those. But is there anything that actually makes your sleep good that's not drugs? Kind of, but eat less you know, and exercise. You say eat, eat less and exercise more. Do you have a favorite form of exercise, John? Oh, walking has always been my thing. You're walking. a walker. You're a walker. You walk. Brisk walk out mm-hmm. for a walk. Long walk. Do you ever take a night walk before bed? That can be really nice. A lot of them. Lot the uh, the other day I was out for a night walk, but I don't walk as much. I don't walk enough. When I uh, not living in the city, I don't I don't walk like I did when I lived in the city. Mm-hmm. I think if I lived in New York, I would be 
I'd be two inches taller and I'd weigh a hundred pounds less and I would be able to shoot crossbow bolts Whoa. from under my fingernails because I would walk well, would you be, Does it have to be Manhattan or could it be one of the boroughs? Oh, it'd have to be Manhattan. Yeah. I don't, I you know, you wouldn't want to be out in the boroughs. You don't get cross crossbow fingers on uh, Strong Island. No. And the thing about living in Brooklyn is you can walk for a while, but then you hit one of those parts of Brooklyn that. In order to walk across it, you just have to, you're basically walking in a no man's land for an hour I feel like to get to speak, another part. People, of people speak in code about this, I feel like, because I don't know, I don't know anything. I, well, if I'm honest, I don't know fuck all about Brooklyn. It's like basically what I know about Portland is what I know from like TV parodies. But mm. I have heard people say, and people, I noticed that, especially, let's just be honest, white people mm. kind of treat this kind of lightly, but there's this sense of like, well, you can walk here, but you, should, you maybe shouldn't walk there. Oh, it's more to do with uh, just the like fact the Billy that- Joel uh, walking through Bedford style alone. No, no. It's about the fact that Brooklyn was an industrial. First of all, geographically, Brooklyn's a bunch of hills and it's a bunch of bumps. And then there bumps. was it was it was industrial in so many different ways. Like there's the Gowanus Canal, there's the old Navy Yard, and all these areas have been ah, kind of partly. Well, I mean, they're being colonized, right? They're they're all getting turned into places, but it's not a natural. If you're in Williamsburg and you want to walk to Park Slope, you have to go through 14 different environments. And it's not that any of them are especially scary, except one time I was walking down a street and a Hasidic guy on a forklift was coming down the sidewalk. And I was like, and we were, we were, we were the only two guys on the street. Like there were no cars. There were no other people. It was just Leviticus. I don't think so. And Uh, he was coming down the sidewalk. He could have been in the street. I was on the sidewalk. Those little ones, like a bobcat sized one. Yeah, yeah, right. But medium enough that it was. Yeah, like a personal personal forklift. A personal forklift, and he was hauling ass. And I was like, uh, it was he was a big enough forklift that there was no way I could stay on the sidewalk. And he was in transit, right? He wasn't like going from one place on this block to another place on this block. He came onto the block on the sidewalk. He went directly at me until I had to, you know, like, oh, I guess I'm on the sidewalk. You, so I'm, you had to sort of, uh, it's, it's his neighborhood. You step aside and you provide a means of egress. Exactly. His for- neighbor is what, is what that whole forklift was trying to tell me. But it was, a, it was an, a, 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 it was an intermediate space. It was like, it was not a, it wasn't this neighborhood. It wasn't that neighborhood. It was. It was, mm. it was, it was like, like a liminal, liminal neighborhood. Was yeah. Another time I was walking, kind of not in that exact neighborhood, but down because I used to try and do this. I was like, well, I'm in this neighborhood. I'm going to walk to that neighborhood, not realizing that, like, well, nobody does that. So good luck. I was out walking, and there's like, I don't know if you've ever seen a group of Hasidic men who are who travel together, and they they walk extremely close to one another, like it's a it's a mm-hmm. scrum. And they're and, and they're, they're wearing colors, right? They're, 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 they're like all a got gang. Colors on. Yeah. They're they're but there's like nine to twelve of them, and they're so close together that they're and they're moving as a single organism. And I did the thing, which you apparently you do not do, which is address them. Hi, hey, can you help me for a oh, second? I still get that here. I still I still talk to people that I guess I'm not supposed to talk. Not supposed to. to. And they they come to you. See two you remember? see two Chinese ladies walking with their bucket hats. And uh, hello. oh my gosh, I, 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 who knows why? I mean, I, I don't want to be aggressive with people, but, mm. but you start to realize there, there are groups in America. Oh, there are groups. So well, they travel in, they did. travel in pack, they go single file to, uh, to hide their numbers. Well, no, not single file, right? There's a clump. It's like they're, they're four abreast and yeah. five deep, but in like, and they stopped and they literally pushed one guy forward. Like you. Talk to him, or the guy like kind of moved out. Oh, from the group. it was it was, uh, it was his night in the barrel. Exactly, and he said, "Yeah, may I help you?" Mm. And he and he and <laughs> I and it was this huge explosion going off in my mind. Like, oh, these guys are all born in America. They are Americans, and yet they don't 
speak English very well. And this guy, they pushed him forward because he is the one that speaks English. You're going to get that in a, um, in a, like, for example, with like, say like, you know, friends or, or Mennonites, right? Mm. You get that mm -hmm. sort of like, we hang with our own kind, mostly keep to ourselves kind of thing. Yeah, and they speak Yiddish, and or you know, and they're, these are the Lubavitchers or whatever. And he and he comes, and he's got that incredibly, like, it's condescending, right? Cool, like, they have the cool hat. Oh, they all have the things, everything. Because uh, most of what I know about this, such as it is, comes from the Netflix TV show. Um, I think it's called Unorthodox. Yes, same, same. And group. that's that's where I learned about the large hats. But I said, I said, oh well, I'm here. Mm -hmm. I kind of know where I am. But I'm sort of trying to get to downtown Brooklyn. And they laughed. Mm. And they said, oh, there's no way to get there from here. And I said, no, I know there is. The streets connect. Mm. And they were like, mm, well, and it was clear they'd never been. You know, they'd, I don't know. They didn't know how to get there. It was yeah. the same thing you get everywhere you ask a local, how do I get to the next town? And they're like, oh, I don't think you can. You have to go back up to the highway. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, anyway, there, that's what I mean when I say I need to live in Manhattan because if I start walking, if I'm if I'm down on Tenth Avenue and I want to and I want to walk to 125th, I want to be able to just keep going. I don't want to have to go through some Navy Yard and be like, I mean, this, I this love is a fraught, a, fraught, a fraught time in America uh, with the way that um, well, there's just a lot. There's a, well, there's even more. It feels like there's more anti-Semitism than usual. So I want to be careful yes. about this. The, did you have a how much have you thought about the forklift? Because I, I would still be thinking about that. Well, a lot, but one time. I mean, he was, so wearing, he was wearing the outfit, right? Oh, yeah. Well, but without the jacket, he's had the vest on because he's working. Oh. And he didn't have, you know, he didn't, he had a, he had a yarmulke. He didn't have like, a, he had, he was working. He was a working guy. Okay. This was during a time when there used to be guys who would station themselves on the corners in Williamsburg and they would, uh, they would point, point at people, got uh, other men walking down the street and they'd go, Hey, are you Jewish? And you'd stop and go, uh, and you know, and I had a, and have a lot of Jewish friends who would grab me by the shirt collar and go, just keep walking. And what they were doing was trying to get hipster Jewish hipsters to become more conservative, to join them. Oh, so it's a movement. form of like, um, at least sort of, um, proselytizing is probably the wrong yeah. word, yeah, but, but close. Yeah, but like you want to like say, hey, look, you know, you gotta you gotta get right with. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm, so this does sort of overlap because um, yeah. they have a return lot of fun. to the fold, return to the fold. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, what are you what are you doing? Why aren't you know who doesn't want to wear the ribbon? You know? Well, so we were uh, so Ira uh, of uh, so not a handsome, he's so handsome, very handsome and Jewish, and we were out walking one night. A Jewish guy named Ira <laughs> working walking in the night. In the, you know, in this environment. And uh, I, I think I might have told this story before. We come upon, again, it's an, a nondescript block. It's not part, it's not a neighborhood that you would look at and go like, oh, there's a little cafe over here. It's just warehouses. Warehouses as far as you can see. We come upon this scene where it is, it's the most incredible thing I ever saw. The streets, and it's the, it's the middle of the night. Streets are full of people just decked out, like not 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 the normal fedora, you know, because the fedora and the and the beaver hat they all signify different things, different degrees no of are you married or not? No if, kidding. If you're unmarried, you have you can wear a certain kind of thing, but then when you when you when you are married, then the hat changes. And then if you're like you're a, clear, but I mean, like not not to blow the story here, but I mean, part of it is like not only are you part of a tribe and you're repping that. But a tribe, well, not tribe in that sense, but you know what I mean, right? Like tribe in the in the in the wider like Freudian sense. Like you're you're part of a tribe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, so, yay ruins everything. <laughs> we call him Yay now. Is that um, right? I thought it was Ye. Oh, Ye. Oh, I thought it was like Yay. Oh, we're talking about the same guy, right? Well, he's he's the guy. Uh, he did that uh, that that record I like a lot with the Nicki Minaj rap on it. That but, I like. but he's the one that has like daylighted 
uh, anti-Semitism. Oh, this he's week. speaking truth. He's speaking a lot of truth to a lot of power right yeah. now. But I like, like I, thought, saying, I call but, him Yee. If if uh, if I can get a correction, if he's Yay, then that changes. Well, I I think people you should call people what they want to be called. But yeah. you know, that's kind of how we know him, and it's going to take a while. We went through this with Prince. But you're saying you're part of the tribe. But you, but so much so, are you saying you're part of the tribe? It's not just like a gang where you get a tattoo or whatever. It's like part of that tribe is like and 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 I'm wearing the. Oh, what's that phrase? Oh, I, you got to always remind me of this. When you're a general and you got all the ribbons, they call that something salad. What do they call that? Scrambled eggs. Scrambled oh, eggs. Hat. Yeah, there you go. You got all your hat, hat stuff. But you're, you're saying, I'm part of this tribe, but I'm so much a part of this tribe that I'm also repping the equivalent of, not the equivalent, but analogous to like <coughs> rank and ribbons. Like, but and it seems like kind of what they're saying is, hey, uh, is is part of it? Let me ask it as a question: Is part of it to say, Ira, you're obviously very handsome and a very gifted drummer, but what what, what makes you so scared to be part of our tribe and rep that? Oh, this isn't anything to do with Ira. Now I'm talking about uh, these guys are all together with themselves. They're not. This is a. There but if are, they saw Larry David walking by, they might be like, "Where's your cool hat?" Well, no, they're not interested in that at this moment because it becomes very clear that this is a wedding. Oh, and a wedding. It's the middle of the night. Night, night wedding. It's a night wedding, huh. and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in the street. And we walk into this into the midst of the group, and there are ambulances there, except they are specifically Hasidic ambulances, and there are cops there, but they are Hasidic cops. And we're walking through, and it, and we're just we're stunned, and you know, of course, we're objects of at least a little bit of interest because we're the only two people in the whole environment that aren't Hasidic because we're not, we were just walking in the night through some warehouse. You're almost like an NPC or something. You're like, exactly. you're, you're not part of the, and you, you go, I felt that in neighborhoods in San Francisco where like, I feel like people don't, even though I really don't fit in and a tourist might feel a little bit harried here. Like, I feel like uh, they don't even, people don't even see me. Well, in this case, they they definitely saw us. There's a, there was a natural curiosity, and this was at a time in my life when there was no party that I wouldn't go into. Right? There was no wedding I wouldn't go stick my nose in. At least I think that's because, a core competency of yours. Is you, you sh- I think you've indicated you show up and, and you act like you run the place. You like you belong there more than they do. And in this case, it you was clear I did not. But I had mm-hmm. a, both Ira and I. I think had. I had a beard, certainly, and Ira had, you know, a mustache and a little thing. So we were, you know, at least we we weren't like there, like with a face like a baby's bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, we were like men. Mm. And so I walk the two of us. And the thing about Ira is he's fun. He's ready to go. And mm-hmm. he and he's like, so let's also go. pretty tall, if memory serves. He's tall. And so we walk over to a policeman, and he's standing there. And we look past him, and there's this. We look into the warehouse, and it's a warehouse that is a a square block full of people. It has that. There were so many people in there that you could see ozone, but it wasn't the kind of ozone that they pump into a Judas Priest concert. It was literal ozone of humanity. What was it? You talking about like like wavy lines? Yeah, where the where the air has. I've seen that in a couple punk rock shows. Where there's just sure. too many people and like moisture starts like running down the walls. Yeah, the air becomes its own kind of mass. Mm-hmm. And I said to the policeman, "What is going on here?" And he said, "It's a wedding. It's a wedding between the the chief rabbi of the Lubavitcher set sect and the uh, and a and a different and the daughter of no, it's a it's the son of the chief rabbi of the one sect and the daughter of the rabbi of the other sect." And they're oh, getting married. you got a couple, a couple of gentlemen of Verona's type situation. Yeah, and the two, and the two, the two young youngs are getting married, and this is the event, and everybody's here because this is, you know, oh, this is the, the this main is the, event. Like, event of the season. This, this. And I said, of course, to the policeman, mm-hmm. "Can we go in?" And he said, "It's a wedding; everyone is welcome." Do they issue you a hat? No. Okay. Because you're and, supposed, you're, I mean, like, I'm, I'm not, not, I'm not taking the piss. Like, oh, you're, you're talking su- about a yarmulke. Yeah, you're supposed to have your head covered when you go into something like that. I'm guessing, right? Well, except it wasn't. Um, it wasn't in a like a facility. Well, I'm, I'm going to stop in interrupting a- you now. You and Ira, who's Ira's ready to go, and you say, "Can we go to your wedding, please?" 
or yeah, can can we? Is it okay? Is it okay? And yeah. he said he he did the famous shrug and said it's a wedding and every it's it's you know it's a it's like really a what are you gonna do shrug? Well, yeah, and it but he said but there was something I think he uh, he actually specified it is intrinsic to a wedding in this culture that everyone is welcome. It's not oh, just like you like, can ask Don Corleone for any favor because his yes. wife, his daughter's getting married. It's not just like it's tradition. Yeah, you can do what tradition. You want. It's like actually yes, you yes. Can come. And so I look at Ira and he looks at me and we're like, of course we're going to go in. And we we wait in, and we and it's really waiting, and we're both tall, so we can kind of see over everybody. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the most incredible events I've ever been to. It was, and of course, once we're in there, then we are figures of tremendous fascination mm-hmm. because there's that whole, why are you here? But it's not hostile. Sure. It's just like, why are you here? It would mm-hmm. be like, uh, it would be like being at a wedding and a guy comes in in complete, you know, like, like it, it would be like being at a, a Presbyterian wedding and a guy comes in dressed in kente cloth, right? <laughs> Where you're just like, Hello. <laughs> like, uh, welcome to the wedding. How, 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 uh, how can I get you something to drink? You know, say like you look maybe like you mosey in, like you're from from the big uh, tribal meeting in Black Panther. You come in and you like you 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 really you would really stick out. Like you you got you, you've got a garb of your own and didn't realize it. And you're tall, and they're not mad, but they want to know. Uh, so what what brings you here tonight? Well, and we have the beards, so there's a little bit of that like. Did you guys, are you guys a member of the tribe and this is your first event? <laughs> is this your first day? In, in which case <laughs> you didn't get the dress code, but sure, like welcome, but also like how, how may, how may we help you? And it was such a, it was such a crowd and such a, it was maybe one of the only instances where I felt comfortable in a, in a group of people that there could be a stampede. You know, generally if I get in an environment where you look around and you're like, when, when the stampede starts, where do I go? Mm-hmm. And you, and there are times in stampede situations where you are suddenly like, it's too late. Like you're getting carried along and there's no going against it. And I have worked so hard to never, ever, ever be in that situation. It helps a lot to locate, as I say, to, re- to repeat that phrase, means of egress. Yes. Um, th- there was a there was a club in uh, in Tallahassee uh, that used to be pretty famous for like I don't know I, I I learned from my friend Dave when you go into this club the first thing to to do is locate the exits because y- you just you just never know and I think that's a good habit to develop because also you might want to leave early like me you don't want to get in a great white situation you don't want to get in, in a, a who a who situation a who situation my or cousins a were at that crush. concert yeah no they weren't they were yeah Cincinnati nineteen seventy nine yeah wow. You don't want to be on a bridge in Cambodia. You don't want to be uh, at a football game in in Leeds or wherever that happened. Or you could do that we, joke I don't understand about a hovercraft. Pearl right Jam, now. yeah, the the one about a hovercraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, so I don't I don't let myself get into those. But this was a situation where it was too. It wasn't like I got swept along. It was too juicy. I needed to get closer. And we got in there, and then it was it was evident that I mean this was a huge building. There was a whole section over to one side where the women were, and there was no intermixing. The women were over here, and then the vast majority were were men. And then at the far end, there were some very steep bleachers where all the old guard were sitting. And they were sitting uh, in these bleachers, so they were kind of – it was so steep, they were just right on top of each other. And they had these fur hats that were – that were – I mean, each fur hat was its own they're amazing, really amazing really thing. they're big they're it seems like that would be the limiting factor in how many elders you could fit in a bleacher is is the the that you've got a uh account for width of hat it's a yeah and can you see hat. over like then that maybe that's why yes. they're so steep you got to see over the hat in front of you sure and then there was this whole wedding ceremony none of which i understood a lot of dancing and and uh, you know he and i stayed there really through the whole thing and and the the party went on all night and it was i mean it was in the united states of america but it was more of a a culture experience than i've had in most places not in the united states of america it was was like going to a different i love that that still exists in america i love that you know uh, even as we've sort of you know rounded off 
our edges as a country. We've lost some of our accents. You revert to the mean. I love that there's still cells of completely like intact experiences that can be so foreign to another person who's from, you're both from the same country, but you can still go into something that feels so not foreign, but um, just outside your own world. You know, you're, you're living inside somebody else's culture, which as a member of the dominant, several dominant groups of the culture is, is exciting to me. The thing was that Iroh was raised in the religion. And he had never seen his anything family, like was it. His, his family was observ- observant and everything. You know, observant in the in the like assimilated American sense mm-hmm. of like going to synagogue, and the, but they weren't orthodox. They didn't have separate plates or anything. Mm-hmm. But he is familiar with all of the, you know, all of the things that would make this the same as going for me going to an AME church in in South Carolina, yes, that would be an American cultural exchange for me, like going to a different place, but it would be very American. It would be very recognizably like all of this is happening within my American context. He had all of the context of the religion and still had not had no idea what planet we were on. And he was just like, this was <laughs> right. the most amazing. If you talk to him about it today, he would have, he would have the whole story just, you know, on his fingertips because it was such a, it was such a, um, it was so otherworldly and it was also in America, you know, like also everybody here is American. Um, and again, in that part of Brooklyn, that is, as you like to say, interstitial mm. between two universes of Brooklyn. So it's oh, a place it's, in Brooklyn. Uh, it's a kind of civic, um, like a, a, a civic connective tissue. Yes. And there are places in that same area that are very Puerto Rican where you're like, oh, now I'm in a, a Dominican neighborhood. Now I'm in a Puerto Rican neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, got it. But this is even separate from that. It was just, uh, I think, I actually think about it all the time. I don't blame you. I I, I feel fairly positive. I've told you this story before, but in, in mentioning in passing that the part about being an NPC, when I was first fixing to move out here for work and whatnot. I would stay with my friend, Michael, who lived in Western Edition. Um, and um, I think I told you the story about the one day I just moseyed myself down to Fillmore, walked through the Fillmore and uh, decided to get a haircut. Did I ever tell you this story? I think I did. I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty sure I told that wedding story, but you know, we've been doing this show I don't a long remember time. it. I appreciate you telling it because I don't remember it. But no, oh, one day I thought, you know, oh, I'm enjoying this shorter hair and I'm having a new life and whatnot. And I thought I'd go mosey through my, my soon-to-be new city of San Francisco. And Oh, this was back in the Merlin haircut days where every one of your haircuts was a, like a social event. Oh, you feel like that, huh? Yeah, you would post pictures of your haircuts. Oh, this is, this, is like, this is actually 1999. This is even before oh, there were photographs before. on the internet. Back oh, then it was, yeah. all t- it was just a pure text medium. But yeah, no, I have a lot of problems with my hair. My hair and my rise are two of my uh, my rise. Your, your my hair rise. seems to your hair seems to respond to scissors in a way that other people's hair. Like if you looked at your hair, you would go, "Oh, it's normal hair," and you would just use scissors on it. Yeah. But then when scissors are used on your hair, other uh, like unpredictable results. It liberates a lot of chaos energy, um, especially given that I have very. I, I I was once told, and I've actually been told several times, I have a lot of hair. But my hair is very fine. I have oh. dense, fine hair. Mm-hmm. You understand? Mm-hmm. No, I have that too. Dense, okay. fine hair. All right. Uh, maybe I'm a scallop and don't know it. I'm a lifestyle scallop. I mosey mm-hmm. down, um, whatever it was. Michael, is, was it like, um, actually, kind of near, well, it doesn't matter. No, 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 it's a part of San Francisco offset. that offset. probably doesn't exist anymore because it well, was and once this a is thing. A, this is, I think, um, I don't know, a, a, you probably know, you've forgotten more about San Francisco than I've ever known. <laughs> Historically, I have a handful of factoids I've learned from shows on MTV over the years. You but call I, it Frisco. It's like, a, it's, it's Frisco. Yeah, That's, or San Fran, either one. Yeah. <laughs> we love both. Mm-hmm. Just, uh. <laughs> The following is an unpaid advertisement for Roderick on the line. Have you been injured by a podcast? Has the negligence of one or more hosts resulted in chronic pain or swelling? Are you experiencing anxiety? depression, rage, or apoplexy. If any of these sound familiar, you may be entitled to compensation. But aren't some podcast hosts also entitled to compensation? Who is thinking about their injuries? Roderick on the Line is an important podcast about ideas. It's the winner of the prestigious Phony Award, and it's been recorded weekly for over 11 years. Except for the times the hosts were tired, or forgot about it, or just felt like doing something else. So, please, go to patreon.com slash roderickonthelineright now.
and help support the only voices who aren't afraid to tell you why bureaucracies can be good, cops can be bad, and cigarettes should be hidden on top of door frames. Once again, that's patreon.com slash Roderick on the line. Or give Roderick your money.com. Because America is hurting, and your injuries are real, and people who don't use turn signals should be shunned by their families. Please, won't you care? But we, uh, I said to myself, I says, uh, I says, you know what? I, I'd like to go get a haircut and I want to go start acquainting myself with the neighborhood. I knew there was a Popeyes near there that I like to go to and I sure. moseyed down the street. And local, I, I, local place, Popeyes. And, and I'm enough of a, a person that I've heard, oh, you know, in the African American community. And if it's not, let me just say, this is a very African American neighborhood. Oh, uh-huh. one more, one more point. We can't, we don't have time to get into this, but it's a fascinating neighborhood as a, well, let's just say this. This is within the city. Yeah, but Western Edition used to be a Japanese neighborhood. Yes, it did. And then, you know, there was World War II, and we took their houses away and put them in camps. And what did we do? We moved in a lot of African-American people into their houses so that they could build ships. Mm. And then once that was over, it wasn't so great for them either, and it became a pretty, pretty it came, became a pretty tricky neighborhood. So I'm there going were, down. There, was, there were some interesting riots in that place during, during World War II where you wouldn't expect it. Huh. Well, you, you, um, I always thought it was weird also. If you're going to put people in camps, why do you put them in camps in another state? It's so weird. Yeah. Or out in the, out in the, yeah, way like, out why do the you desert. send people like, anyway, Angel Island, look it up. We, um, I'm mosing down the street and I says to myself, I've heard so much about the importance of, uh, uh, certain aspects in, of African American culture that, you know, the barbershop. There's, I think there's a film about this, maybe a mm. film series, but you hear about barbershops. And I thought, I'm going to go into a, an African American barbershop. I'm going to get me a haircut. And oh, how exciting. It what was a, very what a good idea. Because my hair was already pretty short, but I thought, you know, I'll get a haircut. It would be like, you know, you used to like that uh, Andy Griffith would go to Floyd the Barber just, just to like get a little trim. Were, were you thinking you were going to get a fade or were, uh, did you know, know that that was not going to be possible? Oh, John. John, there's so much that could be published on what I didn't know, but it begins with me walking in. Memory serves, they got the spinny red and blue pole thing and everything, and and I walk in, and there's uh, two guys at chairs and some guys waiting. It's a it's a barber shop. They got magazines, but as soon as I opened the door and the little bell rang, I mean, in my memory of it, you could literally hear a record scratch. Probably probably like a. uh, you know, uh, might be a John Hooker record, but but it would but be like would, <laughs> no, like <laughs> I walk in, bucket up, ba and everybody looks over and immediately gains their composure. Go back to go back to cutting, sure. but I immediately felt like, oh, this is kind of weird, but that's okay. I'm going to cross the the line on this because I am I'm I'm a great uh, I, I'm a, I'm reaching out to the different cultures. Like long story short, I go in there, I wait my turn, and I sit down in the chair, and this poor man was cutting my hair mm-hmm. so slowly. <laughs> and um did you say I want to look like Patrick Ewing? <laughs> I don't think I said that. <laughs> if I had a jersey number, I might want it on my on my head hair. <laughs> no, no, but at a certain point we you know, were talking a little bit and I was I don't know, I'm you know how I am. I'm yeah. I'm, no, I'm no you, but you know how I am. I'm, sure. I'm, 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 I'm sure, you're like you are, yeah. But if I want to, I want to, you know, participate fully in this experience. I sit down, and eventually, at one point, I, uh, you know, it was it. This haircut took probably maybe an hour, hour and a half. Wow, he was really giving it his full attention, and it it didn't seem he didn't have the same brio as he did with all the other fellas who were getting their haircut. I see. And at a certain point, I said something to you know to I don't know. Uh, some kind of rainbow coalition uh, bullshit off the dome where I was like, yeah, I guess all hair is the same, right? And he goes, oh, no, hair, all hair is not the same. I said, oh, really? That's interesting. I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, and he boy. goes, you're the first white, per- white person whose hair I've ever cut. Yep. And I thought, well, well, good for me is the first thing I thought. Oh, you were like, wow, guess who? Wow. Yeah, guess who's... Uh, wow, must uh, be nice to go to a white barber. Wow. <laughs> Get, yeah, get, uh, who's Mr. Multicultural now? Well, I it's was not Mr. Man. I was not Mr. Multicultural because it had never occurred to me that black people have completely different hair and different yes. haircutting needs. Different, like there's just it's a real different. And I was not like like the young Malcolm X. I was not wearing what they used to call a conch. This was my actual hair, and he was cutting it. And uh, it turned out that like I was the first white person uh, whose hair he had ever cut. I, I popped his hair cherry. Yes, and but that's why the guy was going so slow. And I, when I when he was done, I mean, it was it it, it 
because he was trying to use scissors instead of just clippers. And anyway, by the end of the thing, I felt so, I felt like such an idiot because I had an okay, good haircut. It was, it was basically the equivalent of if I had said to somebody at a white person barbershop, give me a little bit of a one all over. Uh-huh. It was pretty tight. Yeah. Because he's used to taking the clippers and cutting hair the way people want, and I have fine white ass Ohio hair. Right. And um You thought maybe you're gonna get a kid and play, but oh, you got a we're talking about rolling with kid and play. Yeah. 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 But you got you got more of a like just join the Marine Corps. A little, little bit high, a little bit tight. And by the way, mm -hmm. I watched Stripes this weekend, and it occurs to me that Stripes came out before Full Metal Jacket, so that haircutting scene where John Candy gets his hair cut off, that was like yeah. six years before Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, Stripes uh, Stripes really started a lot. You know, oh, that's it's, where, it's that's where the GMC RV made its television debut. Oh, 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 oh right, the uh, Urban Assault Vehicle. Yeah, that's a GMC RV. I Only think, slightly I modified. I feel like you told me that. Yeah. All in the service of saying... Um, there are, it's, it's, I, I think I suspect, and it's very important that I really, really lean on the word suspect because I don't know, but I suspect that when dumb, well-meaning white people say bullshit like I don't even see color, I think one of the myriad, myriad reasons that that's a really annoying and kind of offensive thing to say is like, well, it's, there are cells of culture. They're just not cells of culture that work in the way you saw on Dateline or whatever. But there are groups. There are that there are tribes, and I was not part of that tribe. And this poor man, I, I tipped him. Of course, I tipped him well because I'm that guy. But but like it's real. There's there are tribes in America where it's not that you're not welcome, but it's it's that you know you. Well, part of what has made this special in its way is the ability to overserve a certain kind of cultural interest at, at, at very much at the cost of other cultural interests, because that's how it works in a tribe. And I don't know. I'm glad that that exists. And if that man's out there and he's listening right now, I'm really sorry. I mean, he's probably in his 40s or 50s now. Um, I felt really, I felt like a, like an idiot. Oh, you know, I think that there was a there was this wonderful time. It was well-meaning, John. It was well-meaning. You, you, this all happened during a period where we were in the United States, culturally all kind of talking about what does post-racial society look like? What is America going to look like when uh, right, we right finally on the edge, achieved, Right on the precipice of a post-racial uh, society. We're still a little racial, but post-racial was obviously right around the corner. This was right around the corner, and we were all kind of... Uh, you know, and I think TLC, TLC was huge. White people love mm -hmm. TLC by all. I mean, the, the middle, yeah. right. Kind of discussing what is, what, what's it going to look like? Like, what's it going to look like? Uh, you know, on friendly fire, we used to talk about it all the time because there were a lot of Denzel Washington movies during that period where mm. he was the protagonist of the film, but his race was never mentioned. And it, it's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's, and, and he never, although he was completely Denzel, he was not like he was not uh, fronting. He was Denzel all the way. He, he no was in one, that Malcolm X movie, if, if memory serves. No one, but these, these were all movies where Denzel was the cop or Denzel was No, the, I know exactly I'm what a, you mean. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to say, okay, there's a gay person in our movie. But it's like, yeah, but do they die in the first act? You know, or like, are they merely there to be the fat friend or yeah, whatever? Friend, and right. like he, he, but when you can get, have finally get somebody, it's almost like a Bechdel test thing in some ways where like the main thrust of this movie is not that you're the black guy who proved that it could be done. You're just... The, You're the just guy. an extremely competent guy who's here at the middle of the movie, right? Yeah, who's at yeah, the exactly. center of the film. And he's and it's not like he goes at some scene in the movie and hangs out with his black friends and they all talk about what it's really like. You know, it was just like Denzel is just the star. Mm -hmm. And there were lots of things like that in the culture where it was like, well, this is how this is now. And we're all, it's all, and this was, you know, this was a very middle. white person perspective. <laughs> no, not necessarily. This was yeah. the middle of the, of the culture. And, and we were, we were all kind of navigating like, well, what happens if Martin Luther King's have a dream actually becomes reality? What is that? What mm -hmm. is that? And you know, and of course, that was also coinciding with the rise of public enemy and a very and an attitude from the black community that rejected the possibility, right? Or rejected that it was going to be so simple. And so it was a very, you know, there was still a lot of tension, but it was not, um, it, it didn't seem like it was going to be impossible. Right. And, 
you know, and, and it's the rise of cell phones, I think, or cell phone cameras that, that sort of changed the dynamic for white people about what, what some of the obstacles really were. Oh, to say more about that. Well, just that the white America could not comprehend what police brutality really looked oh, like. Oh, oh, could, yes, yes, yes. Great point. You know, yes, and yes, could yes. not comprehend just exactly. Because if we, in the absence of cell phone video, we, we as a culture would come up with all the reasons. It's the equivalent of like, how are you dressed? Yeah, it was exactly that, right? Like, well, yeah. well, you must, have, must have done have something, to, something to provoke our, our first responders that we love exactly. so much. Um, so that I think was the beginning of a kind of, uh, for you know, it was the beginning of what became a cultural wave of people going. Well, wait a minute! It isn't just that teenagers who aren't doing anything are getting shot by the police. It's actually just regular people who are driving in a car who get pulled over for nothing, and then they get shot by the police. And that was the beginning of the you don't understand the ba- you know because the idea of white privilege goes back 120 years. The the you know the W E D Du Bois saying, look. You have no idea the uh, the wealth you have, the basic wealth you have just being white in terms of walking into a store and not getting right. the stink eye, right? Yeah. But all yeah. that I think started with the with the fact that we could see for the first time in me in the middle, the mainstream culture could see for the first time in reality, like, oh no, no, no. This isn't it's not just a Della Soul video. <laughs> there are real obstacles that that it's you know, it's not because because there, there was a, in what you're describing, which I think is mostly a good hearted, good natured approach. But it was the it, at least from my POV, it was this whole like, well, everybody, all the white people are finally coming around to my idea that we're all just brothers. And but it that's not the only complication. I mean, just because there's not as much KKK activity does not mean that we were ready to to because well, we were still the ones that were kind of defining what what that would mean. But I mean, even that, even that, I think is <clears throat> is a white perspective that's not entirely accurate. Because there are a lot of black Republicans, there are a lot of middle class blacks that also wanted that same you thing. See that, and, you see that in the Latin American community. I mean, look yeah. at Florida and how many people are are so conservative. And once you get beyond the basic critical mass, you start having guess what? They're people like anybody else, and they want different things, just like white people want different things. But you got you know you got Bill Cosby who now is. <clears throat> like understood to be a terrible uh, rapist, but he was advocating in very, very much in the center of mainstream black culture. Like why you, you know, pull up your pants, pull up your pants. Yeah. Right. And so, and of course a lot of those, a lot of that mentality was discredited because Bill Cosby across the board was discredited and he was, and he was getting yelled at it in his time, but he yeah, wasn't. E- even when he was started doing that, I mean, I think a lot of people were like, Whoa, pump the brakes. Like, well, I know, but, but you know, but that whole, like he's an uncle Tom or whatever, that wasn't necessarily true. Right. I mean, there was, a, there's a mass mass in America today. Every, every time I see a hot rod show that what, cause you see the hot rods first. And it's like, oh, hot rods. And then you go over and you realize this is an African-American hot rod show. Like these are the that same. Sounds really cool. It's the best, right? <laughs> these are the same goddamn GTOs that you see all these old fat white dudes, except these are old fat black dudes who love those cars just as goddamn much, right? Mm-hmm. And they are hot rodding them in a, and they're not low riding them, right? These They're hot rodding them. And there are black motorcycle dudes and all, you know, it's just like goddamn America, right? Yeah. Um, And they are self-segregating in the same way that white dudes do because there's a, because it's America and there's that, there's that desire to segregate that isn't always because it's being enforced, right? Mm, It mm -hmm. is often a self-selection, like you were saying earlier about tribalism but god the the number of people out there and when the the middle gets derided so much right now and it's so bullshit because there are the middle is the vast majority of people that are just like i'm not trying to get along i'm trying to succeed Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to just get get uh i'm not trying to get suppressed here i'm trying to to make a good life for myself and and there are obstacles and we all have them and not everybody is a revolutionary, mm-hmm. even, and it's not just that they're working against their own class interests. 
there are a lot of people who have a very good sense of American politics across all racist cultures that are like, this is still the best country in the world, and I have more opportunity here than I would anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you going in to get a kid and play haircut <laughs> is hilarious, but it also <laughs> is kind of sweet you know it, it is it is sweet but in retrospect i'm not mad at myself about it but at the same time it did reveal a certain kind of ignorance is probably too strong of a word yeah i think it is but it was but it just in the sense of like i don't know i i don't what? i i don't want to make a big deal about it, but like i should know i should have i should have known that i have different hair than black okay. people now that's that's the thing but the thing is you were coming from a place where you didn't and i was coming from a place literally and i, I i'm really not trying to drag florida in this instance or tallahassee hey <laughs> let's keep it friendly but but i've, I've, I've talked about a foreign country well yeah i once <laughs> on saturday night live this weekend there was a bit where they were making fun of carrie lake that horrible person in uh, arizona saying you know in arizona the florida of the west and i'm like whoa that is kind of true it is has kind of become yeah, that but the um but i uh i yeah i don't know i don't know i uh it's it's a good it's a good country. In in 2008 uh, during the election where it was I think clear to us that Obama was going to win. There was a big party at the Showbox downtown where all of the the white liberals were congregating to watch the election result. And they were the hipsters and they were the gays and it was going to be the big melting pot. People were very excited. You remember the posters? People were very oh, yeah. excited about Obama. Oh. Hope. But here was the thing. Here, this <clears throat> this party at the showbox did not have any black people. Oh. And I had just then moved to a majority black neighborhood. Now, my, my zip code at that point in time, I think I've said before, was the most diverse zip code in America. Yes. Oh, there oh so was this is when you moved to your farmhouse. I moved to my farm. And I had just done it. I had just moved. And it was – and I, so I was all of a sudden living in – in a much more diverse neighborhood than I had at any time in Seattle. And I said, wait, I don't want to go downtown and watch this election in a, <clears throat> in a room full of all of my friends. I want to go to, in the same way that you wanted to go to a black barbershop and just be like, hey, we're all the same. I wanted to go to a San Francisco <laughs> barbershop in a black neighborhood. Right. All right. You know, that I, I wanted to start like, like sucking the marrow out of this goddamn godforsaken city. And I wanted to go and watch this in a black bar. Oh, that the energy of that is very attractive. Well, so I go to this bar and I walk in and there's somebody sitting at the door. And I was like, what's the cover? And he said, well, this is a private club. It's members only. Mm -hmm. hmm. Which was not a lie. I learned later that this is a this is this has been a historically private club members only you pay a yearly fee and it's a it's like a it's like an eagles hall except based around a kind of oh, like a, Seattle, a fraternal organization yeah, yeah but it isn't actually like a it's it is actually like a speakeasy kind of jazz scene and what and the model that the business model they had was this is a this is a club this is like joining the tennis club mm -hmm. except in this neighborhood and I stood there kind of dumbfounded, and the guy said, but you know what? Tonight, come on in. Hmm. And I was like, oh, great. Thank you. And I came in, and I walked around into the bar area, and I was the only white guy, but everybody was very welcoming. And I kind of got – I kind of sat at a table by myself – and we all watched the election returns. Now, I wasn't at a table by myself where everybody was looking over at side eye and whispering. They weren't focused on me at all. We were all watching the election return. Mm -hmm. And when it was clear that Obama won the presidency, there was, a, there was a lot of elation, but it was very subdued. There wasn't a and, – and later on, I saw the footage of the, of the party – of the white kids downtown and they were losing their shit just hmm. you know just freaking out jumping up and down throwing their cups in the air the party spilled out into the street there was you know the music was cranked it was like and i was in this scene and th these were mostly middle-aged people 
And the reaction was very much like handshakes and um, <laughs> a little more dignified, <laughs> very much more. And like buy a yeah. round of drinks for the room. It was not, it was not performative, right? It was personal in mm. this bar. Yeah. And I was there not at all participating in the sense of like, in the sense of what you weren't, I, what, you weren't trying to get the wave going or anything. No. And also as a person who loves to walk into a room and make it all about myself, there was no way there was no room for me to make it. A, I was not at the center, nor I was really, was I really in the first or second ring. I was just a guy sitting at a table and not unwelcome, mm -hmm. but also I was a witness. It was, I was a hundred percent witness. And it was a wonderful thing. And I did not feel, and at, at no point did I feel swept up in the moment in a way that made it this a post-racial society, right? There was no point in that room where suddenly none of us saw color. It was clear mm -hmm. that this was a, that this was a, a moment that hit different. And, you know, at, the, at that time, my across the street neighbor was, uh, oh, the, the, this is the woman with the, with the, with the van. Yeah, this was this where, was the where one Gary, that eventually where Gary lived in a van. Yeah, where Gary, where where Skeeter was her boyfriend at mm -hmm. that time, her husband was still alive, and he was a kind of legendary local jazz organ player who no had played with kidding. all the hip, and and he got cancer about a year after I moved in, and died really quickly, and that was when she got cast adrift and she was a very open-hearted woman and she started taking in strays and she started making her because she was you know she'd been married all those years she was a vocalist he was a jazz guy he was a What's, a, it's hard it's hard when you well well I'll say it frankly it's hard when you you don't have something to love anymore it was very hard for her and mm -hmm. she was a very loving person but at the time and he was a kind of a stern man but i but we liked each other right away out of out of musician love and I saw them the next day out in front of the mailboxes and, you know, we'd been fast friends and I walked over and was like, Hey, you know, I just want to say like, this is the, this is a, a, a watershed moment, a earth shattering moment. And I just wanted to say like, congratulations and what a wonderful event in our culture. And he got a look on his face and he was like, <clears throat> well, he's the wrong guy. You know, I'm happy for there to be a black president one day but not this one. Huh. And, and I was like, uh, oh, oh, uh, tell me more. And he said, well, I just, I feel like the, he's the he, not qualified and kind of turned on his heel. Mm -hmm. And she kind of gave me a sympathetic look. And then they went back into the house and I was like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't a universal, right? Like my, my white and gay friends downtown are losing their shit still that this is the dawning of a new America. And that isn't even true in my own neighborhood. Wow. And it isn't even true among musicians. Like he just, he was sitting in there fuming about it. Wow. And, and I don't know what, you know, I never actually, he got sick right after that. He and I never really sat down and, and he never explained his politics to me, but I was like, Oh, oh, oh. I, and I, I didn't know why. Well, like I said, I still don't. I still don't know where he's coming from. Right. If he'd lived two more years, we would have had, we would have hashed it out. And I think, and I think I'd have a better story to tell. That's still, it's still a good story, but you know, I mean, everybody's there's facets to all of us. And, um, I don't know. There's something I, I, I happen to be one of those liberals or progressives or whatever you call it. Who's like, Hey, democratic party. Could, could you, it's, it's the white person version of this might be, when something catastrophic happens involving something like Roe, and then uh, our, our friends in, in the Democratic Party come out and go, oh, yeah, we'll make sure to vote and be sure to send us $15. And you're like, dude, we already elected you. We elected you and you've squandered these last two years. And like, I guess the, there's, there's the part of me that's like, hey, you know, maybe one part of this would be like start noticing black people at other times apart from the month before a tight election. 
You know, like it, it, we're constantly intoning this, like, well, you know, we got to make sure we got to really like hustle and uh, and organize. And we got to get because you know, black voters. You look at someone like Georgia; that's a huge deal, uh, obviously. But like, you know, it's like we there. The one part of this great post post racial world that we live in, one frustrating part of this post racial world, is like, well, yeah, like we only really notice you when we need you. I don't think that's true. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I I just think. I you don't think, think a Democratic Party could do a better job of that? Uh, I don't think that's really the thing. You know, mm-hmm. I just I feel like the Twitter politics right now and the and the bubble that you know we always we we knew we knew ten years ago that social media was going to put us in a bubble. Oh, we knew boy. that we knew that fifteen years ago that social media's whole goal was to put us in a bubble, and we are so good right now at looking at our enemies. And seeing how in a bubble they are, but we're really bad at looking at ourselves and seeing what a bubble we're in. It's just really hard to do. Mm-hmm. And I think we're in a we are in a sick, sick bubble. And I'm not both sidesing because I think they are uh, uh, abominables. But it's all, it's I, all the versions of the same problem, though. Yeah. Those versions of the same problem of like. Uh, I say this without capitulating to, to the implicit idea that Twitter's where I get all my news, but but I do get what you're saying, which is that like we are, yeah, you you nailed it. Well, we we're great at finding other people inside of a bubble and saying, well, what you know, when will you finally realize how corrupt this thing is and blah blah blah. But like, I'm just as frustrated with with all the like all the pussy hat stuff on our side. You know, it's it's there's something about it that's so tone deaf toward understanding the the facets of other people. And I'll tell you where this really lands for me is I, I I keep mentioning this TV series I watched that had a big impact on me, uh, that that uh, Hulu series Dope Sick, about mm. the Sacklers and oh, yeah, 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 Oxy yeah. and how it affects affected communities in Appalachia. And I um, I I will pretty freely admit that like um I don't know. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like making fun of Irish people. We're like, well, that's that's what I am. I I, I don't know if I'm entitled to do that, but like <laughs> Appalachia is like where my people are from. Yeah. Well, mostly, but but you know, I was the kind of person with the same as anybody other white person look down your nose and go like, oh, you're you're on drugs because you're weak. And and maybe this is a slightly extreme example, but looking at what happened with the way they apparently deliberately marketed Oxy to be something that was going to go into these communities on purpose, based on research, where do people have lots of chronic injuries? Where is this something that we can start prescribing a lot of this? Where can we have influence upon the medical community? Like, what's the biggest bang for our buck in trying to market this post-Valium era you know sackler needs another big hit so what's it going to be right and I, I walked and they away went from to the that. miners of west virginia who all had chronic pain yeah in in the <laughs> in the series which i really do recommend um it's got that wonderful caitlin deaver and caitlin deaver is a young woman who uh works in the mine with her father and she gets injured really badly and it's that story you know if you really just scratch the surface a little and hear about all these what they call it you know disparagingly called, you know, hillbilly heroin. Well, a lot of times you have an injury, and if you go to some doctor who basically wants to jam a bunch of pills down your throat, you're about a week and a half to two weeks away from being addicted to opioids. It's that easy for it to happen to anybody. And guess what? You, you smart white person who's not in Appalachia, you just happen to be in a community that was not being heavily targeted for opioid (laughs) marketing. And when stuff like that comes along, it's, it's, I have, I, I don't want to say I have sympathy, well, sympathy, understanding, like, because I, I don't, you know, I don't like terrible rednecks anymore than anybody, but I do understand at least that feeling of, like, we used to be the dominant, we, well, I don't even want to say that. Like, my dad had a good job as a coal miner. Why can't I have a good job as a coal miner? Well, sit down and bring a sandwich, because there's a million reasons that that's not going to work <laughs> out, uh, as, as you say, as a go-forward strategy. <laughs> but But what it does do, though, is allow you does it take a TV show for me to like be able to see somebody as being more than just the sum of my cliches? Yeah, it does. Sometimes I think, sometimes you know, it does. like yeah. that's what the fuck, that's why TV shows are good. And, and that's why, that's why documentaries are good. I yeah. mean, how many documentaries have I seen where I came away going, Oh, Whoa. And that's, you know, like the, we, <clears throat> I think we're so down on ourselves and so quick to say like, huh, I'm such an idiot that a documentary would teach me something. It's like, what the fuck universe? Like, yes, a documentary is supposed to teach us something. 
I mean, I had, we didn't really talk about my war college experience, but it was profound to me because my whole life from the time I was in ninth grade, I made huge presumptions about the values that, that your average American soldier had. Mm, were they mostly not not too generous? Well, yeah, you 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 want to just make these sweeping generalizations. Well, they're all they're all conservative, they're all uh, violent, they're all kind of ignorant, they're all even the officers. And it's it's and I wasn't I was always a military. I was always fascinated by it. I would say you were a buff. I was a buff. Yeah, but I also carried those liberal presumptions about what the army culture was, and I was afraid of them. I was afraid of the role the army was playing in American life. I thought it was a grift. I thought that it was, you know, I thought it was part of American exceptionalism and adventurism. I mean, I had, you remember, mm -hmm. we used to talk about it all the time. That was how I met those guys was I made those comments about how drone warfare was going to make blah, 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 blah. I just had so much to say about it. Right. And I started to get some of our listeners who were, or who were uh, military officers, emailing me behind the scenes like, hey, I, I, I was really interested in what you were saying, and I just had a little bit of feedback. And you remember the first time I got that from, from Matt Martin, mm -hmm. you know, I wrote him back and I was like, yeah, thanks, kid. And he was like, actually, no, I'm an Air, uh, Air Force lieutenant colonel. I wrote the book on drone warfare. Here's a copy. And I was like, <laughs> Ooh, oh, ow, okay. Ow, ow, ow. <laughs> and, then, and then it happened again where some, you know, where a guy emailed me out of the blue like, You're hey, saying you know, somebody who wrote a book knows more than, than me and my, uh, my hot takes? <laughs> yeah, right. And the, and the next guy wrote me and I was like, yeah, thanks, you know, thanks for your unsolicited opinion. And he was like, actually, I'm the dean of the history department at the Air Force Academy. Yeah. And he's the guy that now is the dean at uh, at the Army War College uh, at Kaplan, and he was the one that invited me there, right? So I get to the War College, <clears throat> and I spend a week with these Army officers, and I walk away feeling like this is not a this is not necessarily a politically conservative. Uh, but at the very least, it's not a, it's not a monoculture. Absolutely not. Yeah. There is there are there are people in the Army culture who are watching Fox News, there are absolutely people who are staunch Democrats. But there, most there are people like them, Francis who never want people to touch his stuff. No, they get him out. They get him out pretty fast. <laughs> oh, yeah, they weed him out. I think the, the vast majority of Army officers that I met were politically, they took the Army's neutrality very seriously. And that meant in some cases that they tried to remain ignorant of politics, but their nature was pro-democracy, mm -hmm. pro uh, the idea that America was the best country in the world, yeah, pro, but pro, not pro-duty, pro-duty, pro-service, and generally what we think of as middle America. They believed in capitalism, but not corporate capitalism. They believe in the police, but not police that have been militarized. They believed in the army, but they were critical of it when it, when it failed. And I came away just feeling like, what a fascinating uh, slap in the face for me mm -hmm. who presumed for decades that your average person in the army was, represent, was one of these kids that was listening to death metal out on the front line in Afghanistan. And was going to come back and and buy a F three fifty and and wear a MAGA hat. It just isn't what the army actually is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think about it all the time. And I think about it particularly. It's particularly worrisome to me when liberals, and by that I mean myself and 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 our cadre. Yeah, it's okay. You can include me. What uh, that when we presume that the army is not. We, we, we make this weird pre double presumption, which is that, yes, when the cultural schism happens, the army will side with us because we are pro-democracy. But at the same time, we're, we also we like and fave and retweet all the tweets that go, the Constitution is intrinsically a white supremacist document and needs to be completely rewritten 
according to the principles set by uh, diversity uh, administrators at Dartmouth. And it's like, well, no, wait a minute. Hold on. The army's not going to side with you if you abandon the Constitution. Because the army swears a an oath to mm, the constitution. Right, 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 right. So if democracy belongs to us, then the constitution does too. We cannot turn our flags upside down, right? We are obligated. And this is this, I've been saying this since the beginning, right? We are obligated to run for office. We are obligated to take the intellectual property of the United States of America and own it and not say, oh, well, the flag belongs to MAGA hats. It doesn't. They have some other flag that is blue with black stripes or something. Yeah, like, it's, it's got Mr. Trump photoshopped to look like he's really buff. Yeah, let them have the Confederate flag. That's, that's not, Just that so you all know, that's not on the regular flag yet. yet. <laughs> the Trump picture? Yeah. No, it's not actually <laughs> on the flag. The flag belongs to me, and the flag belongs to you, and the Constitution Aww. does too. I love no, this. No, it does. No, Merlin, I'm, not, no, 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 I'm not being, con, I'm not being condescending. No, fuck you. I'm totally agreeing with you, you piece of shit. Yeah, I no, totally I agree. I know you do, goddammit, and we all... Uh, God Generation it. X, you know what? I used to hate the boomers so much. Oh, well. And then I realized that the millennials were the worst generation in history. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then the I worst. realized that the fucking the Generation X has Ugh. a lot to atone for. Oh, brother. You, we really, you, we you really, fuckers. we, we, we clapped out of everything. Oh, Jesus we did. Christ. We thought we were losers and we losered our way into like, huh? We lose oh, our way now, into being I, I've so read dumb. the first paragraph of so many Wikipedia articles. I was listening to a podcast uh, this morning, and I, I might get this slightly wrong, but a podcast I love, Blank Check, and the guest on that show used a phrase, uh, I hope I'm quoting this right, he said, the hot take industrial complex. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I've read the first paragraph of 